Support for WERU comes from Inner Tapestry, Maine's holistic journal celebrating and supporting life, featuring alternative health and natural living articles, calendar listings, and a directory of resources available at health food stores and alternative health centers, 799-7995 or innertapestry.org. Support for WERU also comes from Quantum Insulators LLC in Belfast, serving Midcoast Maine as licensed dealers of the Isony Insulation Foam products, including renewable and recyclable insulation content. More information at 1-866-578-WARM or www.quantuminsulators.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online around the world at WERU.org. Common Ground with the staff of MAFCA is up next. Good morning, this is Cheryl Wixon from the Maine Organic Farmers and welcome to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. I'm joined in the studio this morning with my beautiful counterpart, Melissa, <laughs> who helps me with marketing. And we also have two guests this morning. We have Chris Grigsby from the Belfast Co-op and Tony Ortega from the Blue Hill Co-op. They'll be talking with us shortly about the local food movement and the local food co-op's involvement in that movement. But first, Melissa, let's, let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing out there in the markets these days. Okay, well, thank you for that <laughs> wonderful introduction. I'm Melissa White Pillsbury. I'm the Organic Marketing Coordinator at MOFCA. And um, we're pleased that we've just come out with a new seasonal food brochure that covers what's in season in Maine in the, during the months of November and December. And um, the list, you, for those of you who might not be intimately familiar with seasonal eating, is actually quite impressively long. And this list is mostly the produce that's available. It doesn't include all of the other wonderful things that we have available year-round from Maine, like our meats and dairies and other uh, pantry items. Um, so apples and pears are what we can expect to enjoy in the fruit department for the next couple of months anyway. And I notice we're going to always have dry beans. And a lot of these things are uh, what I would c characterize as roots. And these would be coming from cold storage by our farmers, the beets, the carrots, cabbage, rutabaga, turnips, potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, winter squash, garlic, onions. My gracious, you could get a lot to eat out of all this, couldn't you? <laughs> Certainly. And the, a lot of those things are things we can continue to enjoy throughout the winter, but we, we can still enjoy some of the um, shoulder season crops right now there that we can still um, find some frost tolerant greens right now we haven't had too many hard frosts so farmers growing under some kind of um, hoop house or greenhouse um, or are keeping road covers on some of those crops are still harvesting things like kale or spinach or, or chard uh, for a little while longer and then we also have those nice uh, short season availability things but things that I enjoy quite one of the things I enjoy quite a lot are Brussels sprouts, and those don't store particularly long, but they're nice while they last. I know, those little miniature cabbages. I love them. My favorite way to prepare those is to steam them lightly and then toss them with a little uh, vinaigrette. Not, I eat them just like candy. <laughs> oh, I like to coat them in olive oil and salt and roast them. Oh. It creates a nice caramelized <laughs> coating. Now you're going to make me hungry, Melissa. Yeah. So. Now, um, we're probably wrapping up 
the what I would call the summer market season. So if folks are interested in uh, some of these items, what would where would they be uh, being able to purchase them? Well, I mean, it's it's actually really great. A lot of farmers markets in Maine are now going even later than what would maybe be considered a traditional farmer's market season. A lot of them go until Thanksgiving because uh, those folks who like to eat local don't like to stop in, you know, when the the summer technically ends in the mid, mid to end September. They like to keep eating all those nice local things. So, um, and they can, I think the going through Thanksgiving has kind of been a tradition that's started so people can source um, for their Thanksgiving meals because a lot of, of course, a lot of those items that are traditional in Thanksgiving meals are those kinds of foods that are available traditionally that time of year because, of course, way back when Thanksgiving started, that's all that was available <laughs> to eat were those storage um, crops. So we can go plan on winter's farmer's markets. And the other place that I know we can get a lot of this good food is your local food co-ops. And that brings us to the theme of our show today is that the our local food co-ops have been extremely instrumental in the local food movement and bringing the food to the consumer. And we're very fortunate this morning to be joined by two uh, Uh, produce buyers from local food co-ops, Chris Grigsby from the Belfast Co-op, who's the produce buyer and general manager, and Tony Ortega from the Blue Hill Co-op, who is also the produce buyer. And I have to tell you, I know these gentlemen quite well because I know their food really well. So I have the opportunity to shop at both of these co-ops. So maybe we'll start with Chris, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your co-op and how you've been involved in the in the local food movement. Sure. Um, well, our co-op, uh, you know, at this point, um, we passed this past year. We passed the three thousand member mark, so I think we're running right around thirty one hundred members. Um, uh, annual sales right around uh, five and a half million, and um, this past year we we began um, tracking local sales. Mm-hmm throughout the store on just locally grown, locally raised products. And um, actually, some pretty impressive numbers came back. Um, just about um, just about 10% of our sales uh, were local this past year. Which oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Now, it's my understanding that the Belfast Co-op is the oldest co-op here in the state of Maine. Yeah, it's the oldest food co-op. Mm-hmm. Um, started in 1976. Mm-hmm. Basically started as a buying club. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for... It, you know, it, sort of the, the a lot of the new wave co-ops at that point, they came out of the '60s counterculture with sort of different ideas about you know the way things should be, and um, I think they were looking for um, you know higher quality, higher quality food, better pricing, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. So it started as a buying club and then gained popularity, moved into a storefront on Main Street in Belfast. I uh, was there I think until about '85, and then actually moved moved a few doors down on Main Street. Actually, they they actually rolled the store <laughs> down the street, <laughs> which is pretty, pretty interesting. That's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so moved it down a, f- a few doors to a little bit of a bigger space, uh, where actually the, the green store is at this point, um, is, was the old spot. Uh, again, continued to, to grow and, and gain momentum at that point. And um, in 1993, they moved into the, the building that we're in currently at this point. Oh, and over 3,000 members, you say? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so, Tony, I actually happen to be in your co- co-op, the Blue Hill Co-op, a lot because that's on my way home. So tell me a little bit about uh, what you folks do over there. 
Well, certainly. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for uh, coming to the co-op, and uh, thank you for the many people in the, in the Blue Hill area that do come in. Uh, our sales are about half of what Chris's are. I, I, I'm sort of envious hearing that number. Um, we have been around for about 25 years, and we are uh, very blessed with having about 30 farms that service our store, and uh, it creates a, a bountiful supply of produce that, that comes our way from generally from May all the way through the end of the year. Um, I did some numbers here just the other night and was looking at what we've been buying and what we've been selling. And, and just in my department, uh, it's about 70% local, which I'm very proud to say. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Good for you guys. That's pretty fun. So, And that's just from th from the 30 farms here in the area? It is. Uh, obviously, uh, some of the maybe the 10 biggest farms probably supply us with as much as uh, maybe over half of that. But... Um, it is 70% of the sales out of the produce department since May. And uh, I was about as surprised as anybody to see that, but I'm very, very proud of it. And we'd like to see that number grow over the next few years. And maybe perhaps if we move into a bigger location, expand our produce and uh, offer more to the local consumer. So what, uh, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I mean, I know probably Chris, you, you haven't been around since the very beginning, but what kind of a consumer are you seeing today in the co-op? And what types of things are they interested in looking for? Maybe as compared to the consumer that we had back in the 70s and the early 80s when the co-op was founded. Sure. I mean, I think that um, what we're finding for the most part is, you know, folks folks are coming in our store looking for a, a healthier alternative mm -hmm. um, for the most part. You know, whether it's, whether it's folks who come in directly from their doctor with, you know, the prescription in hand looking for, you know, homeopathic remedies for you know, different conditions or things like that, or if it's if they're actually, you know, scared by the the growing trend of, you know, industrial agricultural uh, recalls and... And the food safety. The food safety mm -hmm. issues mm -hmm. of, of late. Um, you know, I think people are just becoming more and more aware of, of where their food is actually coming from, and I think, you know, second-guessing second the um, the large chain stores that, um, that you know, provide, provide the, their... So, so by coming to the Belfast Co-op, they they can get a more intimate connection with their food. Yeah, I mean, you know, we you know we post on our signage where you know where the items are coming from. I mean, for the most part, if you if you I I think with with Tony, I think we're we're right around sixty percent um, of of our produce uh, sales coming from the local mm -hmm. the local point in that same time frame, and you know that's just not something that that you can find anywhere else. You know, we really make the effort to go out there and find these products the the farmers come to us as a, as you know they know that we're supportive of the the local food movement um so it's uh yeah now tony i, I want to just talk a little bit about blue hill because you know as as i say we i have the opportunity to be there quite frequently and i love your signage you know you tell me where it's from and and uh, you know how it's grown and that sort of thing you said you had 30 farmers we do so that's a lot of different farms to buy from. How do you juggle all that? And I mean, that's, I know that uh, sometimes in, in uh, some of the institutional sales, they say, well, we can't deal with that many farmers. That's too confusing. And so how do you manage all that? Very carefully, <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, it is a juggling act, um, but it is one that I, I really enjoy. And I think um, it really calls upon a lot of skills, and the least of which is being able to sort of um, time things out, you know, one farm may have beets this week, another farm will have beets coming in next week, and you have to stay aware of that. And 
So there's a nice open line of communication I have with most of the farmers. I, I'm f fairly aware of what's coming and when it's coming, and that makes the job a little bit easier. Um, but uh, I would say more than anything else, you really have to be on your toes, and you have to stay in touch with the farmers, and you you have to really want to do it. You know, you really want to. You have to really believe in it, and I do. And I think that uh, you know, from my background, which is coming from one of those chain stores. Uh, the, the type of customer who comes into a co-op is more savvy, more aware, uh, more educated, it seems like, on, on the whole business of local food. So you, you better be on your toes. You better be prepared to give some answers, and, mm -hmm. and you better know where it's coming from. And I've had that opportunity to go and visit farms, and I actually know the farmers on an entirely different level than I ever did working in a chain store. I, I've been to their homes. I've see, I, I, I see their children. I see what they're doing. I know what they're growing, and I know they believe in what they're doing. And we're very fortunate to have uh, both of you folks uh, available and uh, giving us such great produce through your co-ops. Um, you're listening to Common Ground, an hour-long discussion of local food and agriculture here in Maine, hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And our guests today are Crick Grigsby from the Belfast Co-op and Tony Ortega from the Blue Hill Co-op. And in just a few minutes, we'll be opening up the phone line so you folks can join in the conversation. Our phone here in the studio is 469-0500. And uh, so, Tony, you say you've got a, a little more sophisticated customer, you think, that... Uh, uh, how often do you think these folks shop at the Co-op? I mean, is this their only place that they shop, or...? Oh, I, I suspect that's not true. I, I think that uh, you can't get everything at the co-op. I'd like to think you can. <laughs> but one thing's for certain, you can find things in our co-op and probably certainly at the Belfast co-op that you can't get anywhere else. And uh, I think that's an important thing to remember is that uh, we are a source for many things and the least of which is that um, you can count on a consistent supply of products that um, you know, represent really the, the best of intentions with, with growing and, and producing um, and with every bit, um, you know, the idea of putting something on the shelf that is safe for your family, that something is good and nutritious for your family, and I think that uh, that is why people come into co-ops. And I see the same people every week, and I, I think it's great. Uh, Chris, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the model on which the co-ops were based and, and, you know, how they really came about to be here in the state. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, as far as the, um, you know, again, getting back to, you know, the, the 70s really saw a, a big movement of, of uh, startup cooperatives um, around the country, you know, again, based, I think, based on the fact that people were just looking for different alternatives and what they were, what they were, you know, presently giving, mm -hmm. uh, given. And, um, and as far as, you know, the, the co-op business model is interesting in that it's, you know, it's, it's member-owned and controlled. It's a democratic process. Um, you know, you, it's, you know, equit equitable investment returns you one share as opposed to sort of the, the corporate business model where you can buy as many shares as you like and that, you know, tends to dictate um, the way things are, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, voted on and things like that. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's one share, one vote kind of thing. Um, returns on investment uh, if, if, you know, the co-op has a good year. Um, and also just this a sense of kind of building community. And I, I think that that's an important part of, of particularly with Belfast and Blue Hill, you know, just being like that, that community hub, um, you know, we, we operate on, on lower store margins than the, than the big chain stores, you know, we're, it, it's really, it's about providing for the membership and, and the customers. 
as opposed to the, the shareholders. Now, you don't have to be a member of the co-op to shop at the co-op, though, right? No. All right. And when you think about your clients, do you, I mean, do we have a lot of folks that aren't members that still continue to enjoy uh, shopping at the co-op? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we have we have a lot of a lot of folks who come in and shop, you know, almost on a daily basis who who um, don't have memberships, and you know, we try to offer we try to offer um, enough incentive to uh, to become a member to mm-hmm. sort of make it worthwhile for folks. You know, we offer uh, four super sale days a year where everything in the store is ten percent off to to the membership. Um, Member advantage pricing, where you go throughout the store, and every month there's uh, there's a lot of items that are on sale um, on a, on a membership level that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be that way for customers. Members have the abil- availability to buy case pre-orders. Right, I like that. A, yeah. that. That's a really nice feature. Yeah, yes. yeah. For those of us that you know, want to make sure that we don't run out of lemon juice or lime juice for our margaritas or whatever yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the winter, and all. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our fresh fruits and vegetables. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Chris, I'm curious to hear your perspective on kind of what the same question that Tony was answering about working with the local vendors. You know, I know you work with I think, probably even more, which makes sense since your sales are, are that much more, and how you um, sort out that pro- get, getting that consistent supply and having a, mm-hmm. a diverse product mix. Sure, yeah, we um I think we're probably about about the same level as as the Blue Hill Co-op. We're, we're probably dealing with about 30 farms um on a regular basis, not including the the random calls that we'll get from, you know, from folks who we, we don't necessarily have relationships with yet who are maybe trying to, you know, get into the the co-op or something like that or they may have uh specific products to offer that we can't get anywhere else. Um, but we do uh, we do winter meetings with all the farmers um, in the year before to basically kind of line up. We we look at our sales from the previous year, you know, figure out what what went well, what didn't, what we can expect to maybe do next year, and um, and you know sort of base it base it on um, what the farms want to grow, what they're you know interested in. And we've over the past few years we've we've definitely have pushed some of the farmers to introduce some more specialty type items. Uh, we now have. Farmers that are growing, you know, escarole and frise and radicchio, trevisio, you know, some of these things that that they may not have thought about before, but that we've have sort of developed a little bit of a, a customer base for, and um, have helped to sort of expand their product um, availability as well. And do you do any kind of contracts with the growers, or is it all kind of an informal? This is what we need. You know, we don't need everyone to grow heads of lettuce for us so how do you yeah. how do you how do how do the farms kind of sort out uh who's growing what do they is it kind of a first come um, <laughs> you know seniority well, kind of situation or uh, i would say there's definitely some seniority there uh-huh. um and i would also say that you know we we can sort of figure out who 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 does things well you know in a particular crop say um so you, know, so we'll, you have we'll, some of some say and you know yeah, and a, a lot of times too, what we'll base it on is, um, you know, we're we're at most getting deliveries from a farm at most twice a week. So you know, there you've got sort of seven days, and as far as trying to keep it as fresh as possible, um, we'll do a lot of things splitting. You know, where we'll we'll divide it up between, say, you know, we'll get our kales from three different farms, or you know, some kale from this farm, some kale from the other farm, and and then base it as well around those delivery times. Um, to make sure that we're getting the freshest product in as possible and we're not, you know, pulling it in once a week and 
Mm -hmm. We're trying to run that same product out throughout the course of the week. And this question is for either of you. Um, how do you keep or what, what do you do for labeling as far as local or organic and or both or neither? <laughs> and um, how do you how do you manage that with 30 plus vendors? <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, I would say that, um, you know, particularly this past season, um, you know, things kind of came up as far as because, there, you know, there's there's a lot of folks out there who are growing organically. Um, with organic methods that may not, you know, that, that either they don't meet the $5,000 threshold to, to have to gain certification or, you know, it's just not something that monetarily they can, you know, invest in. Um, so we, we have been, we were toying around this past spring with, with the labeling of is there, is there any other syntax that, you know, can be used for those types of farms and, you know, we were in contact with some of the folks at Mothka about it and um, so at this point now, we're basically going for, you know, if it's certified organic, then it's labeled as such. Other, otherwise than that, then it's, uh, it's got the local label on it. And we try to provide the customer with some, some background information from the farms themselves. Mm -hmm. How do you guys do it over at the Blue Hill Co-op? Well, it's interesting listening to him. What he was saying, I, I, we haven't actually had this conversation, but I was glad to hear that he's sort of faced with the same thing. Um, organic is certified organic to the Blue Hill Co-op. Um, it does mean something to us. On the other hand, we'd like to recognize the efforts of smaller farmers who either philosophically or financially aren't able to be a certified organic farm. And, and you know, clearly after visiting and seeing that they're practicing organic methods, um, we think that should be noted. Um, we have opted for the term naturally grown and authentically grown, um, but I'm very reluctant, to be honest with you, to, to label it organic, unless it really is organic, you know, certified organic, that, that, that's the most important thing. But I think that the expectation on the part of the consumer coming into a co-op is that uh, we've done the homework for them and that we, um, we're, we're giving them our word that this produce is um, organically grown uh, by the best methods possible and, and free of pesticides and some of the practices of big agribusiness, which is why we come into a co-op in the first place. It's certainly why um, I feel very proud to be a produce manager at a co-op. It's, it's, we're doing something differently, and I think we're doing it right. Oh, I'll say that. <laughs> well, thank you both very much. Uh, and folks, we're uh, here, and we're welcome to take your calls for any questions or comments if you'd like to join in the discussion. The uh, telephone line here at the studio is 469-0500, and we're talking about the local food movement and your two local food co-ops and how they've been a, uh, an exciting and integral part of that movement. I'm Cheryl Wixon from the Maine Organic Farmers and I'm joined in the studio with Melissa White Pillsbury and Melissa and I are kind of a marketing team <laughs> and we have a great time. So I, I think we actually have a telephone call. Could you uh, give me your name and uh, where you're calling from and your question please? Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. Okay. I'm a little disappointed to hear our co-op staffers measure the success of the co-op in terms of dollar sales because that's in large part a reflection of inflation. I'd be much more interested to hear from them. I don't know if they've thought about this, but I'd like to know the growth of the co-op in terms of the total amounts of food moved. I'd like to know if the percentage of local growers' produce that the co-op handles has grown. I'd like to know if the percentage of 
persons in local communities has grown, who, who support and use the co-op, I, I consider that those would be more telling and, and more instructive measures of the success of our co-op movement. Well, thank you, Yo, very much. And thank you so much for running the show today. Oh, well, thank you for that. And I think that's a good topic that we can uh, have a little conversation about here. So which one of you gentlemen want to grab that first? Well, as far as uh, product movement, I do have some numbers that I brought from the Belfast Co-op um, from basically our fiscal year, which was October 2009 to September uh, 2010. Um, <clears throat> let's see. We moved uh, 3,000 pounds of organic maple syrup, uh, 10,000 dozen local eggs, 5,000 pounds of ground beef, uh, 6,300 pounds of organic potatoes, 1,000 bunches of kale, 3,000 heads of lettuce, roughly 1,000 pints of cherry tomatoes, uh, 1,360 half gallons of moo milk, 5,500 pounds of tomatoes, 4,000 pounds of apples. Um, and those are just you know, uh, some of the highlights um, mm -hmm, from, mm -hmm. from this past year. And the other number that I, I did pull this morning as well was just basically looking at specific to our produce department, um, our year-end sales number versus our year-end local sales number. And uh, we actually, and this is, this is for the whole year, so it, it, do, it does take into consideration the winter months when local availability is not that great. Um, we came in at 24% uh, of the produce department sales were all local. Uh, local sales items. Oh, great. Thank you. How about you, Tony? What do you, can you... Well, the Blue Hill Co-op situation is maybe a little, a little unique in the sense that we're in a very small building and we've long since sort of outgrown our ability to, to uh, service the, the, uh, the co-op customer in that facility. So, you know, our sales have pretty much stayed the same here uh, of recent months. And I think that's, you know, maybe due in part to the economic situation out there. But also, um, we just need a bigger place. We just do. And I think that if we uh, are able to do that, I think we can offer a, a lot more local food. And, and the gentleman's call from Tremont is a point well taken. I, I, I would say that, uh, I'm, first of all, I'm beholden to Chris for coming up with the numbers. That's great to hear. Uh, on our end, the, the money value, what's coming through the register and what our local consumers are spending is really one of the more tangible ways to sort of measure whether or not you're, you're doing your job, if you're, you're providing what the customer really wants. So... Um, that, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, thank you. I think we have another call on the line. Could you give me your name and uh, where you're calling from and state your question or comment, please? Hi, this is Kate. I'm calling from Belfast, and uh, it's more of a comment than a question. Uh, another way, I think, of measuring the impact of co-ops on the local community would be how much of the money that people spend in the co-op stays in the local community, which is significantly higher than a chain store. So, for instance, the Belfast Co-op did some number crunching, and it's about 55 cents of every dollar, which is pretty remarkable. And if you <clears throat> compared that to, say, Hannaford, you know, a very large chain that is headquartered outside the United States, I think they're probably around 10 cents, and that might be generous um, for every dollar. So I think the impact on the local economy is very critically important for a co-op compared to other places to buy your, your groceries. 
Oh, thank you, Kate. That's an excellent point that we hadn't um, mentioned, but it's very, very true that you spend money at your local food co-op and the money stays in your community. So, And, and I think, you know, and you mentioned this before, both of you, uh, uh, Chris and Tony, that the co-op is kind of like the social hub of the community, you know, you, the cafe, and you can find out what's going on. And what are some of the other types of things that you folks do in the community? What about the uh, Eat Local Food Challenge? Sure, yeah, that's uh, the Belfast Co-op. Um, I believe this is our seventh challenge at this point. Um, basically twice a year, we kind of throw it out there to the to the community and, and challenge folks to eat, eat as much local food as they possibly can. Um, we do it in November when the, when the harvest is, you know, plentiful for the most part. Um, and then again in March when it's not so plentiful and maybe a little bit harder to, to find those local items. Um, but yeah, we... we have a uh, you know a raffle basket down there that that folks can win if they uh, I think they purchase uh, fifteen dollars or more of of local local products and they can put their receipt into a, a box and you know a drawing at the end of the month and and we also do a, a, a potluck celebration which would be this month the November thirtieth at the UU Church in Belfast and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, be from five to eight and basically from five to six we all sit down and share. A, you know, nice potluck local meal, and then um, six to eight, and some entertainment and some speakers and things like that. I was, I've been at that before, and it's a, it's a really nice event. I yeah. really enjoy it. So, now, Tony, I know you folks have done some educational work and some uh, featured some some of your farms and some farm visits and things like that. What is yeah, that? That's exactly great. Right. We're also involved in the Eat Local Challenge, and the uh, dates and locations of those here in the Blue Hill area are available on our website. Um, we do have the farm tours, and they have become uh, increasingly more popular. And um, people can actually go out to the local farms and meet the people that are growing their food. And it's a big hit, particularly with the, uh, the uh, young people in the community. We've uh, just recently had a, um, an art exhibit in our cafe that featured the uh, work of some of the young kids who went to the farms. And I, for one, thought it was one of the best art exhibits we ever had in the cafe, and it was uh, extremely popular. Yeah, I know. I remember seeing some of those cows up on the wall and some of those uh, from Quills End Farm and Kings Hill. And it was it's great what those young people do. They Unfortunately, a lot of young people don't have the opportunity to understand where their food comes from. You know, they just think it, it, there's this little factory there that spits it out and cry back packages. And, and it doesn't, you know, they don't understand that part. So yeah, we, um, we've, we've begun to get our... our um uh, Chard and Mesclimnix from the Troy Howard Middle School as well lately, which is another great, you know, educational program that that, that school offers, the garden program, where the, the students are able to, you know, come in and see the see the wholesale side of it, you know, the delivery, the invoicing. So the, the students the actually deliver the product? They do, yeah. Yeah, a couple of different students come in each time with uh, with John, yeah. It's pretty oh, great. a great opportunity to learn a little economics, a little yeah. agriculture all wrapped into one, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Well, you are listening to Common Ground, an hour of local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And we're speaking with Chris and Tony from the Belfast and Blue Hill Co-op. And we invite you to call in with questions or comments. The studio phone here is 469-0500. And Melissa, so we have a brand new Maine seasonal food guide out, November, December. Which That's will right. be available at all your local co-ops. <laughs> yes. And if you're someone who works at one of those co-ops, just you can go on our website or call the MAFCA office to request your copies. 
And uh, these guides are great not only for letting you know what's in season, but also how to use it. We have several recipes utilizing um, one or more of the ingredients that are in season right now. And we also have some information on this one about root cellaring, um, crops that are appropriate for storage through the winter months, and um, the, the, temp the recommended temperatures and humidity levels. Um, that are appropriate for, for different crops. And we also have some ideas about sources, resources for eating local foods through the winter, um, natural food stores and co-ops, of course, being one of those options, and um, winter farmers markets that we briefly mentioned earlier in the show, and um, community-supported agriculture. There are a number of CSAs in Maine that do um, a winter storage uh, share or pantry kind of share. So there, you know, there's lots of options to continue that sourcing through the winter and um, the options are always growing. Yes. Yeah, so just because that uh, it's cold and the ground's frozen doesn't mean you still can't get local food from Maine. Well, I think we have a, a caller on the line. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Yes. This is David calling from Brooksville. Yes. Good morning, David. Hi. I just wondered with uh, farmers markets happening almost every day of the week throughout the season, how does that affect the co-op's uh, uh, ability or, or sales and, uh, with, with uh, local food, uh, vegetables and fruits? Okay. And I'll hang up. Okay. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a good, uh, good question. And I see Tony shaking his head well, over there. <laughs> there. There's a direct correlation. I can look at the numbers um, each and every day, and I can tell you exactly when the, uh, the local farmer's market was held in my area. <laughs> Um, it does affect us, but it's a, it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, why it competes with us a day or two of the week, um, those same people are featured on our shelves with their name prominently displayed on our signage. And uh, the consumer, the, uh, the um, consumer as well as the farmer is, is very aware that uh, we're supportive. Um, we we want to see them make money. We want to see them be viable. We want to see them be able to expand their offerings. And uh, we want to see them on our shelves. So... It's a double-edged sword, but um, you have to sort of, you know, see what works for you. And for me, I try not to compete with the farmer's market on the day of the farmer's market. I try to have a special that I put out on my sign that, that is uh, an item that I know full well won't be available at the Blue Hill uh, farmer's market. And, and that, oh, by the way, please go ahead and, and patronize these people because they need your dollar and, and they're doing it right. And... On your way home, stop on by and pick up a papaya or an avocado. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Chris? Yeah, I, I would just add to what Tony was saying. Is you know we're, we're, we as well we um, you know we allow the Belfast Farmers Market to put their sign right outside of our our storefront, and um, you know we 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 definitely see a little bit. I mean, particularly the summertime. You know, not only with just the farmers markets, but folks who um, have CSA shares. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, people who are growing their own food right in their own garden. Um, and that's all, uh, those are all things that we, we wholly support. Um, you know, we, we sell a lot of seedlings uh, in the spring with that, with that idea in mind that, that people are going to grow their own food. Um, fortunately, we live in the mid-coast, which is a kind of a hotbed for, for tourist traffic as well. So I think where we, where we do lose, you know, some of, the, some of our sales to the local uh, farmers markets and CSAs, we, we may gain from people who are just cruising through the state that, uh, you know, don't have that access or availability. 
Well, and I have to add that uh, you know, as a chef, I am very appreciative of my both of you folks at the co-op because I may go to the farmer's market with specific ingredients that I need to prepare a recipe, and if they don't have it at the farmer's market, you're my next stop. So it's it's I very much appreciate that. I think we have another call on the line. Could you give me your name and where you're calling from, please? Yes, it's Jody in Harborside. Uh, I'd like to make an announcement. Um, of a conference that Mosca is actually co-sponsoring on the 20th of November in Brunswick at the Unitarian Universalist Church. Uh, it's a pesticide summit um, mm-hmm. that the Toxics Action Center is involved in, and information is available on their website and probably on Mosca's website as well. Um, I would have liked to have had uh, you come in today to talk about that event. Um, if that's not possible, perhaps you would consider doing a program to summarize what went on at the Pesticide Summit on the 20th. Um, also, uh, Paul Tukey is the keynote speaker and a film that his Safe Lawns Foundation produced on uh, cosmetic use of pesticides, that is to say on lawns and golf courses, is going to be shown on the public television station tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. Um, I would urge everyone to look at that film. It's about the efforts of a town in Canada, in Ontario, to ban pesticides. And uh, we would do well to follow their example. Perhaps I would offer another uh, program suggestion, too, um, namely um, to talk more about Mosca's um, regular oversight of the Pesticide Control Board in Maine. The um, program thus far has been a little bit too much about numbers and lists, and I, I would like to see you uh, talk about things that um, are actually central to um, MOFCA continuing and growing, which cannot happen if the agribusiness takes over and pesticides are sprayed without adequate regulation. Well, thank you very much for that uh, input, Jody, and we appreciate the call. You're listening to WERU 89.9, and this is Common Ground, an hour discussion of local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And this morning, I'm joined in the studio with beautiful <laughs> Melissa White Pillsbury, who is my marketing counterpart, and Chris and Tony from the Belfast and Blue Hill Co-op. And we're speaking a little bit about the uh, local food co-ops and how they've sort of fueled the local food movement here in the state. So, And we'd appreciate your calls and comments at 469-0500. Again, this is WERU 89.9. So let's just take a little different tact here. We've talked about a little bit about keeping up with all these 30 farmers and uh, maybe what happens during the summer months. And so what happens during the winter months when we don't have, when the ground is frozen and um, we, but yet we still do have root crops and things like that available? What, uh, how does that influence what you put in in the co-op and what you see folks buying? Well, I tell you, uh, one thing, we get a lot less phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty quiet in, in February. Uh, but, uh, but no, I think, you know, the, the, the wintertime for, for us is, you know, planning next year, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, we're 
sort of beginning to figure out what sort of seeds we're going to be selling in the store, lining up uh, farmer meetings at this point so that the farmers can have an idea of what they can sort of expect or, you know, bank on for next season, um, crop planting uh, plans, you know, things like that. Now, are you able to give any input to farmers like, for example, you said you had some new types of uh, radicchio and things like that, that, you know, that the customer is interested in. So you can say to the farmer, gee, if you were to grow me this, then I could sell it. Yeah, definitely. I think we, you know, we're, for us, you know, our, our big push is to, to definitely try to, you know, get as much momentum as we can as far as uh, seasonal extensions. You know, things, mm-hmm. things that we can start pulling in in April and May are going to fly off the shelf. And, and likewise, you know, on, on the other side of it in October, November, uh, so that's that's always been a big push for us. But then, yeah, I, I think, you know, we get a lot of farmers, particularly in Waldo County. Um, I mean, the farmer farms everywhere, and there are more farms and product than, than we can move through our store. Um, so we've we've tried to expand, you know, the products that, that a farmer would normally grow to, to some things that we may have introduced over the winter. It's more specialty-type things. More specialty-type things, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what happens in Blue Hill, Tony, during the winter months? Do we all hibernate or? <laughs> <laughs> no, fortunately not. Um, one of the things we've tried to do is um, obviously there is an apparatus in place where we can order from a large warehouse that is a national warehouse <clears throat> that um, pulls in organic product from all over the country and, and, and in fact from places like Mexico and Canada because with the increase of the organic movement, um, there have been uh, more offerings from in, in different um, climate zones. So. There's a lot more available, but one of the things that we've done at the Blue Hill Co-op is that we've uh, leaned more and more upon a local provider who uh, is a local guy, a local family, and he takes the drive down to Boston uh, once or twice a week, and we order through him, and I believe he also uh, supplies the, um, the co-op yes. over in Belfast as well. And that's been a, a feel-good kind of thing because we're getting what we consider to be um, better, more fresh organic produce that we're able to put on the shelves in winter when we don't have the local farmers to count on. But we're also putting money in the pocket of a local family, and uh, we're very pleased with that relationship. Um, speak to another point about this, about extending the season. Uh, where I'm coming from with it, where I'd like to see uh, farmers do more of is this value-added packaging, which, which basically goes like this. Um, I'd like to buy all your carrots, um, but if you could bag up carrots in a three-pound bag and offer from your farm in a three-pound bag, and you could offer bulk carrots from your side, and you could offer carrots with tops on, well, that's three individual products that I can put out on my shelf, and it allows me to patronize all three of your farms. Um, so I think that's, that's something that, that uh, is the direction that I think we'd like to go more of. And the other one would be, it would be really nice if... Uh, we are able to freeze uh, vegetables and fruits and extend the selling season. I, I think that would be a dream come true for certainly for um, our co-ops as well as the farmers who would love to be able to extend their selling season. So that, that, that's a dream, and um, that's something that I'd like to see more discussion about uh, in the coming years. Uh, it would be a, a good thing for the local economy. And so the crops that we do have available, those storage crops we were talking about before, are you able to source those from local farms at this point? Or are you still having to go outside of those local vendors to get those crops that, in theory, w- would be available for Maine until the springtime when the, the green stuff starts coming back? No, we're, we're blessed. We still have a, a very uh, good supply of local uh, produce, and a lot of them are things like turnip greens and beets. And we're still getting a nice supply of kale and uh, head lettuce and spinach 
Um, the tomatoes are starting to go. So it's, it's, it the, is the, November. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sad though, isn't it? It is sad. I'm going to miss them very, very much. Um, but uh, yeah, we're still doing very well with that. And it, and it has been a, uh, a terrific growing season, I think by most accounts, uh, garlic maybe being the exception. And I don't know why that is. Um, but it's been a very good season for a lot of farmers. And we've had a, a, a very ample supply of, of everything from uh, cantaloupe to zucchini. It's just been terrific. Um, maybe makes up for last summer. I don't know. Yeah, we have been blessed this summer, that's for mm-hmm. sure. So, um, Interesting question that I'm thinking of. What would be the one produce item that you could sell to the cows came home that you just can't seem to get enough of? <laughs> for me personally, it's cilantro. I, I'm, I'm, really? I'm, I'm amazed by it, and I wish uh, we would grow more of it locally. I, I, I'm I'm stunned. We have a uh, fantastic cafe in our co-op that utilizes cilantro quite a bit, and um, the demand for it from a consumer level uh, is beyond anything I ever imagined. Uh, so that that would be my my throw in on that one. Yeah, and I have to second that. Yes, you do have. You both have delicious cafes. I've been known to frequent them quite often. So how about you, Chris? What's the one thing? Jeez, uh, I tell you, you know, I I would say asparagus would be one that we uh, ah. just cannot get a hold of um, nearly enough local asparagus. I think we maybe you know, maybe got twenty thirty pounds this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, the year before that, it wasn't wasn't much more. Um, I think that that would be one. Um, you know, sprouts is always a good one. I mean, if anybody was you know willing to take on sort of a, a sprouting mm-hmm. uh, situation, that would that would definitely go well. Um, actually broccoli this year was was kind of hard to come by for the most part i mean the fall broccoli crop has been better but the summer summer broccoli summer was, broccoli was, touching was, was yeah it was a little sp- scarce yeah. i don't know whether it's so hot and too dry or what but there wasn't a lot of broccoli even in the farmers markets yeah. Right. yeah well you're listening to common ground on your community radio station weru 89.9 we have a few minutes remaining and we do invite you to call in with your questions or comments, the uh, studio phone number here is 469-0500. And I'm Cheryl Wixon. I'm joined in the studio this morning with uh, Melissa White-Pillsbury and Chris and Tony from the Belfast and Blue Hill Co-op. And we're talking a little bit about the local food movement and how our local food co-ops were really the folks that brought a lot of this to the consumers. Now, I heard somebody talk about moo milk. Was it, were you talking a little bit about the moo milk that uh, you both sell that in your store, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Has that been a hot item or? I think so. I mean, I think it kind of had a slow start for, for us particularly, but it definitely, um, you know, as the summer progressed, I think took, took off and, and we have, a, I think, a con- consistent con- uh, consumer base at this point that are coming in looking specifically for it. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know that in addition to produce, you folks do provide other things besides milk. You do uh, meats mm-hmm. and cheeses and local breads and things like that. So these are some of the other types of things. You don't have to just get your vegetable fix here. We can get some of the other things. Um, uh, how about you, Tony? What other types of things do you folks offer for our consumer that's from the, the local area? Well, we certainly have some uh, fantastic local bakeries that supply the co-op. Um, we do have local meats, and we just recently expanded our cheese selection to include as much local uh, produced cheese as possible, and, and the response has been terrific. Uh, we put a new case in and uh, displayed a lot more variety, and uh, it's been just terrific. Our numbers are, are up, and uh, that means that people really want uh, 
I want to see more of that sort of thing in the store, and we want to accommodate them. And um, so, if you haven't been into the Blue Co-op, Blue Hill Co-op recently, uh, you you need to come in. We've always got something new. Yeah, that, that new deli case is a great case. It really makes a big difference. So, I think we have a caller on the line. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? My name is Rebecca. I'm calling from St. Albans. Ah, good morning, Rebecca. What can we do for you today? Just wanted to make a comment about the broccoli. Mm-hmm. We had an excellent crop, and we are still harvesting it. Didn't know this, but I found out this year that once you cut it and then continue to cut it, you will still get even the smaller heads, smaller little, Mm -hmm. the crowns maybe. And I could go out and pick some more right now. Call me, Rebecca. (laughs) That's the Blue Hill Co-op, and the name is Tony. Okay. Yes, mine. (laughs) Yeah, we, we were very fortunate. You know, last year was a complete bust. We had we didn't have one tomato, but this year we did great. And the the kale and the the broccoli are just the broccoli is amazing. Mm. Well, thank just wanted you. to share that. Well, thank you very much for that call. And uh, Tony, Tony will take your call afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've been uh, lately. I've been the only broccoli I've been able to source um, would either be from Four Season in Harborside or um, through Crown of Maine, Jason Kafka. A checkerberry farm. Yeah, yeah, and actually, I just ordered a case of that myself nice. to freeze, so yeah. so I could make sure I have enough to enjoy all the winter. But yeah, Rebecca brings up a good point. I used to grow broccoli and uh, would cut off the head, and then all summer I'd keep having these little uh, little buds. They make great. You can yeah, freeze them. Florets. Yeah, little florets. Yeah, little florets. They're perfect for uh, for freezing or for using in stir fries or or things like that. So, well. We have time for a few more telephone calls if you'd like to join in the conversation with uh, Chris and Tony and Melissa. We're talking about the local food co-ops, and you're listening to WERU 89.9. Our studio phone here is 469-0500. Chris, you mentioned uh, Crown of Maine, and maybe you both could talk a little bit about the role that distributors that are that it, that are in business now that focus on local procurement have played in your strategy for sourcing um, year-round main products. Sure. Well, we um, in Belfast, uh, particularly, we you know we try to go for the most local first. You know, as far as the um, the miles miles away from the store, we start as locally as we can, and you know work work through the supply at that point. So. For a lot of the summer, um, you know, we don't rely too heavily on, on Crown of Maine for, for their products, uh, particularly in produce department, but they do offer year-round uh, value-added items that we can't get anywhere else for the other departments. Um, but, you know, as, as the sort of fall comes around, um, you know, we end up relying a little bit more heavily on, on Crown of Maine for specific stuff that we have, um, have gone through more, more locally. Um, and I know when I, you know, three years ago started buying in the produce department, the um, the order guide for Crown of Maine was maybe five or six pages, and I think it's up to fourteen pages at this point now. So I mean, they've really have increased their their availability and and product selection. You know, wool socks. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, their their business is growing, and yeah. it's great that they're having uh, more support all the time. Buying clubs has been a, an area of growth for them. There have been a lot of uh, consumers who have got you know kind of decided to get together maybe because they don't have a, 
a great co-op in their community, like in Belfast and Blue Hill, and, you know, want to have better access to local foods year-round. And so they form these buying clubs or they're able to source together, um, have more, have greater access to, to these these things. Tony, uh, do you use um, any – well, you, you mentioned the, the fellow that goes to, to Boston for you. Are there other um, – sourcing strategies that you use to get more local product besides working directly with farmers? Well, we, we do rely on Crown of Maine, particularly when we get into um, into the fall and the winter. So um, they, they're a valuable resource in that regard. Certainly, um, we want to uh, get as much local and Maine-produced produce in our store as we can. Um, but again, I, the Blue Hill Co-op is blessed in the sense that it has so many farms surrounding it um, that, you know, they're very good farmers. They know what they're doing. And we have a season that is fairly long and vibrant and varied. Um, so I haven't had to rely upon uh, Crown and Maine as much, I think, as previous produce managers. But that may be due in part to the fact that we have had such a terrific growing season. Um, time will tell. But it, it is a great resource to have in place. And uh, we do use them for a variety of things. Well, this has been a really enlightening conversation. Um, I got a quick question, though. If you could uh, talk about your your typical customer, what did it look like 20 years ago, and what does it look like today? You know, your average typical customer. Anyone of you want to take a stab at that? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know what if I can vouch for 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, you're a little too like, youthful. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I just think it, you know, it comes down to, uh, to product availability, really. I mean, I, I, 20 years ago, you know, what was the natural food, you know, industry looking like and, and what, what could people get? I mean, bulk foods, I think, was, was a big, played a big part. Um, I mean, I don't think that the Belfast Co-op specifically even had a produce case in the store uh, until the late 80s, you know, when they finally had, had some room to do it. Um, but I think now, you know, I mean, Folks that walk into the Belfast Co-op, I mean, uh, that's pretty much where I do my shopping exclusively, and you know, we, I think we have you know, twenty thousand items or something like that. I mean, you really you can get, I think, nearly everything that you're looking for mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. in there. And I think you know, if, if Blue Hill had a bigger a bigger facility, then that would probably be the case <laughs> if, for them. If we as could well. double the size of the produce department at the Blue Hill Co-op, <laughs> right, Tony? <laughs> that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, I, I would say probably the best testimonial that you could make to the, uh, the growing movement of organic foods and, and, uh, and that sort of thing would be the fact that there's more and more of it being offered in traditional stores. That tells you a lot. Uh, they wouldn't be doing it if there wasn't some money to be made in it, and they wouldn't be doing it if there wasn't demand for it. So um, I guess I haven't been in my co-op for 20 years either, um, although I do have a pair of shoes older than Chris here, so I, <laughs> I guess maybe I can speak from some sense of experience. Um, I think that uh, it's certainly a growing movement, and, and I think more and more families are embracing it. And um, I, I think that the, the future is very bright for co-ops. As long as we stay true to our mission and we, we try very hard to keep the local farmer uh, out on the shelves and, and keep local people buying local goods and keeping the money right here in our own community, I think the future is very bright indeed. Well, great. Thank you both very much. Uh, Melissa, what do we have coming up as far as uh, Mofka is concerned? And I should make uh, people aware that if you are interested in our calendar, you can uh, 
view it on our website, which is www.mofka.org. But this is a big weekend for us here at Mofka. <laughs> That's right. We have our annual Farmer to Farmer conference this weekend. It actually starts today with a couple of farm tours in Lincoln County and will continue tomorrow and Sunday in Northport at Point Lookout. Um, and as Cheryl mentioned, you can get details of the conference schedule on our website. Um, and that's our that's our big uh, celebration at the end of the end of the season celebration with all of our farmers as well. It's you know we we eat a lot of we food. eat a lot it's, of local it's food. Probably, I mean I don't know this for sure, but I would guess that it's the the biggest all local organic food event <laughs> in the state. Yes. <laughs> In the state. <laughs> I agree. Concern, I've been sourcing some of those hundreds and hundreds of pounds of food. I think that's probably true. Thousands, yeah. <laughs> I think we're up to a couple thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know we also have some other coming events. We have a, a chainsaw safety workshop, a low-impact forestry workshop. Again, these information about these items are available on our website at www.mofka.org. Uh, on December 7th, over in Unity at the Common Ground, we're going to be hosting a record-keeping workshop. For and farmers. This is for farmers. This is geared for you farmers that know you're supposed to keep good records but really don't like to do it. So we'll be bringing in some folks that keep immaculate records and maybe some offering you some ideas and some strategies. And then on December 15th at Unity at the Common Ground, we'll be offering a workshop on licensing the home food kitchen. Now, this is a workshop that I lead, uh, and you folks talked a little bit about value-added products, and this is the opportunity. If you've got this great salsa or this jam that you would love to make and market, this would be the workshop for you. This gives you the opportunity to talk with both the Department of Agriculture state licensing folks, and the University of Maine to understand all the things that you need to do so that you can actually set up uh, uh, a kitchen in your home and, and make these products. So, And don't forget to take the local food challenge this month. You know, source as much food as you can locally for that Thanksgiving meal. All those traditional dishes are things that we have available here in Maine, and they taste great with that. Moo milk butter <laughs> and cream. <laughs> and cream, yeah, you have that heavy cream. <laughs> and all those squashes and cranberries and apples and cider and turkey. And it's just it's a great time to be living in Maine right now and be eating, I'll have to say. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you both uh, Chris from the Belfast Co op, Tony from the Blue Hill Co op, Melissa. Thank you all for joining us. You've been listening to Common Ground. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And our next show, please be sure to join us on December 3rd for our next show. And this is WERU 89.9. Thanks very much for listening, supporting, and please stay tuned for On the Wing.